Warning, the following content occasionally contains adult themes and language, which is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to yet another episode of Cinematic Rewind. Joining me today to talk about There Will Be Blood is Munsta. What's up, podcast world? And Regent. Gone on, everybody. And as per usual, I'm your host, Venture. And like I said, we are talking about the movie called There Will Be Blood. It is from 2007. It has an 8.2 out of 10 on IMDb, a 91 on Rotten Tomatoes, and a 93 on Metacritic. This is surprisingly way higher rated than I thought it would be. I know you guys said it was very highly rated, but I guess I just didn't realize how highly rated this film would be. Yeah, during its time, I saw it everywhere. It was all over magazines, commercials. I was working at a video store during the time that this was released. I saw it once it came out. It was already like on the box sets or, you know, the DVD cases at the time. It was already like, hey, nominated for all these awards. It's still a surprise, even watching it recently. I actually still have the same reaction as you did. Yeah, it's just very highly rated and like it's good, don't get me wrong, and we'll definitely dive further into my statement on that. But I just am surprised at how even it is across the board because usually one website will differ from the other, but it's like an eight to a nine on both web on all three websites. So that's definitely a first. But before we dive into the movie too much further, I want to ask both your histories and Munster, you gave sort of like a quick summary there, but what else is your history with this film? Yeah, on a deeper dive, I heard about it and then I didn't watch it in theaters, but after seeing the box sets with all the different things on it, I was still during this time period where I spoke on the podcast before where there was a couple years where I was getting like really good deals at the DVD rental locally where I was at. And this was one of those that I picked up. And ironically, I picked up this movie with also No Country for Old Men, which was also another big movie that had a lot of accolades at the same time. And when I watched this movie, it's actually the same way I feel recently is that, oh yeah, it's a good movie, but I'm not going to front. I don't see why it's as highly regarded. And I definitely want to dive into that. And I think I might have an idea why, but even when I first watched it, I was like, oh, it's a good film. And that was it. And what about you, Regent? What's your history? I'm in the same boat as Munster. I watched both this movie and No Country for Old Men the same year because they came out the same time. They were the, at least for nominations for the Oscars and everything, they were the two movies going bat to bat. Pretty much every category you could probably think of. I think there will be Blood got eight nominations, but the only one for Best Cinematography and for Daniel Day-Lewis for Best Acting. Yeah, he did a phenomenal job in this film real quick. And I just want to say the only person in this film that I recognize is the pastor guy. Of course you do, because of the Batman. Yeah, I was like, wow, Riddler is uh, getting a little religious up in here. And funny enough, he acts very similar to Riddler, except for the serial killer part. It's a pretty big chunk of personality, but the rest of like mannerisms, his style of acting is all still there. He's very shouty, very eccentric. Of the two films I've seen him in, he did a very similar performance. And you know what the funny thing is for Daniel Day-Lewis's acting for this movie? He read the script maybe once, maybe twice. Didn't even have to think of how the character was going to be. He just knew what he wanted to do and just went right to town with the character. 
I've actually heard of Daniel Day-Lewis, but I've actually never seen him in anything besides this. Gangs of New York, which is still one of my favorite movies of his acting-wise next to this movie, and then Lincoln. Okay, I have heard of Lincoln, but other than that, his filmography is like a ghost to me. Yeah, I would say it's the same three films for me as Regent. Yeah, because the only other good movie that a lot of his filmography is more about serious acting with maybe one or two offbeat acting movies, but those were the movies that really picked up on him. And then he took a a three-year break after nine and then retired after the 2017 movie Phantom Thread. I do have one question about this film, and it is in regards to casting. So obviously, there are the two brothers. There's Paul and Eli. Are they actually separate characters, or is Eli just insane? No, it's two. Paul Dano was originally not supposed to have a dual character role. It was originally just going to be the younger sibling. But they had to have a reason to get Daniel out there to the oil. So they had to create a character, I guess. Makes sense. I actually surprisingly have zero history with this film. I had never heard of it until it was put on the list for us to cover. Watched it today. And I noticed a couple things. This movie reminds me of two other movies in particular. It has the cinematography from No Country for Old Men that just stood out immediately. So I'm wondering if the cinematographer are the same people. If not, cool. Just similar I guess, creative decisions were made. And it also reminds me of The Lighthouse. And I don't know if you guys have seen that film. So two different people for both movies. And yes, I've seen The Lighthouse. Okay. You see where I'm going with that, like almost eerie vibes, especially towards like the third quarter of the film where it just gets a little bit unsettling. Well, so this movie, Gangs of New York, particularly, it's like that for both movies where the tension really picks up in the third act for his character and everything just hits the fan towards the last maybe 30 to 45 minutes of the movie. I think that was kind of his M.O. in the early 2000s as someone who saw both movies when I was a freshman in high school and then ironically a sophomore in college, which is right at the beginning. And what I would say is, I think it's more, it was a trend that was developing at the time. The Dark Knight, Christopher Nolan, and a few other films. I feel like that was the second half of the early 2000 films was going this direction. I believe that movies like these, I wouldn't say that they were necessarily independent, but they were kind of almost borderline independent films. They weren't the top typical Paramount, Columbia, and all those other ones. These were kind of more on the border. Borderline. You can kind of see it right at the border. Just enough budget to go to all theaters, but it definitely wouldn't necessarily be as widely regarded as like a Marvel film or a WB film. And I feel like that was a trend for those films. And plus, we've talked about it before when we did No Country for Old Men. These were filmed in the same area at the same time. Oh, okay. I guess that's why I was getting No Country for Old Men vibes from this. Literally the same land. (laughs) Yeah, literally the same land, same town. I mean, the scene where the oil rig catches on fire, the Coen brothers set for No Country was maybe a couple blocks walking distance from them, and the smoke and the fire was getting into their shots, and they had to wait for it to be put out to redo their shots. Oh, wow. So these films are very, not in a story-wise, but just in how close in proximity, style, setting, that type deal, even like Western vibes to it. 
Yeah, and I think lots of times when you have to deal with a lot of the similar environments, you have to film in a certain way. Because one of the top things is what we call film grain. That's traditional in a lot of these films. So you have that, but you also have light exposure and heat affecting certain things. So I could see that also impacting how both movies had a similar render is having to work with the same kind of lighting and different kind of effects on the film. Mm -hmm. I can definitely see that. Now, before we actually dive into the film a little bit further, did you guys know that this film was actually based upon a book? Partially. I had assumed so, but I never got official on it. Mm -hmm. So it is a book called Oil! Exclamation point by Upton Sinclair and was released in 1927. And it was adapted nearly 100 years later, 80 years to be exact. I just thought that was a cool fun fact to throw out about there that there is actually a book and it follows a very similar story. Yeah, and I, I would actually say this is one of those movies that not only a lot of work was done and it turned out phenomenal, but I feel like they also had a source material that was very close to the time period. Sometimes we'll have movies based on books that are subject material and subject matter from 100 years prior or something like that. I feel like this actually worked in their favor is that even though it took 80 years to finally make the subject matter, the story itself is literally based when it was actually actually written yeah so the book ends or that movie ends where the book was released in 1927 so the film ends in 1927 and then the book was released so nice little tie it up and a little pretty bow there oh yeah that is pretty cool Oh yeah, definitely. So we can actually dive into the film now. One of the things that I guess bugged me about this film right off the get-go is there's not a singular spoken word until the 14 minute 30 second marker. But why did that bother you? So it bothered me because it felt slow. We got to see a little bit of world building there, but there was almost no context to it. And I feel like some dialogue, maybe even between one or two characters or even getting to see him start his little mind. You literally start it inside of his mind. You don't know what he's looking for. All you know is he finds some shiny rocks and then he makes a profit off of it. And then they find oil in that exact same hole. Yeah, I'm one of those people that it told a lot to me without having to say anything. So I was actually the other way around. I was very impressed with how much I was able to receive without them having to say anything. And that's completely fair. I guess just for me, I'm used to there being dialogue almost immediately in a film or within at least the first five minutes. So just seeing a film that doesn't have dialogue for nearly 15 minutes is just kind of jarring. It's just like, okay, that's that's a choice. I think it worked, but it was just jarring. It actually did tell a lot. You're 100% correct on that because I obviously garnered a lot from those 14 minutes about where the movie was going to go, but it still felt off to me and I just can't really explain why. No, that's totally fair. I mean, when you've watched so many films where they wouldn't make an artistic choice like that, it didn't really catch me off guard, but I think it was because I was so drawn to what was happening. I guess I could kind of fill the void in my mind. And I think this is where the correlation between the previous film I brought up, The Lighthouse, and this kind of almost merge is because like is not a lot of talking in the beginning of The Lighthouse. It's just characters doing their day-to-day -day thing. I guess that adds to the unsettling vibe for me that I got from this film because even from the get-go, I could just tell some fucked up shit was going to happen. And I was like waiting for it and waiting for it and waiting for it until you finally get to that part of the movie, which we'll talk about later. But but it definitely did start off, at least to me, on an unsettling vibe. Yeah, and I like that because I feel like 
that's the vibe I had the entire movie. I felt unsettled the whole time because of all the pieces, really. Not only I was worried about the individuals, I was worried about the whole oil thing because I already had an idea, even even on my first watch, I had an idea about how that industry, I don't want to say a high fatality rate, but a unfortunately higher than average fatality rate, I should say, because of the industry it is. So that makes it unsettling. The time period, they don't even have the materials we have now, and it's still dangerous now. So you have that unsettling. You have this shady guy from the start who's already unsettling, and you have all those pieces. And throughout the whole film, it kind of like the plate just kept getting more and more that I felt unsettled about. I like that because I love when a movie makes me feel a certain way, and it doesn't take me out of it. Right. And I think that's why it worked well is because I got to experience on a mental slash emotional level what the film wanted me to experience, what it wanted me to feel and how it wanted me to perceive these characters. Because right away, you're 100% right. You do get the vibe that he's a sketchy, dirty guy. He's not necessarily a good man. How, How do you feel, Regent? I mean, to be fair, I mean, in that particular time frame of everything going on in the world, at least industrial revolution type deal, the pacing of the beginning of the movie, you could definitely feel that something was off about him in terms of, I wouldn't, I would agree with Munster as far as saying like sus or sketch about him, but I'm wondering if the way the portrayal was supposed to be that he was a very untrusting man who had to be either the most outspoken person in the room in terms of body language, just gauging people around him or having to be the most commandeering person in the room that no matter what someone else did all eyes were still on his character for Daniel Plainview people focusing in on that character but even in that that look he's immediately trying to perceive what other people's looks or thoughts are about him just play the game with him as a full-on game of chess of one versus how many people in the movie the other wanted him for like the land the oil money and just trying to be ahead of the competitors while trying to keep his own bearings about him Yeah, definitely. And that's even something that he states later on in the film is he doesn't even like people. He doesn't trust them. And anyone in that same field as him, he views as a competitor and he doesn't want anyone else to be successful. So I feel like they actually set that up perfect for us to get those vibes off the get go and just eventually have that fully explained to us through dialogue being like, yep, this is who I am. I'm shitty, but deal with it. Yeah, you can kind of get pieces of that from the beginning. Here's how I looked at it. During the beginning, when there was no sound, it was already unsettling from the way they positioned it. But there's also those little cues about his character for someone like himself to be in such a dangerous area doing it by himself. That already rings a lot of things of he doesn't trust anyone. Maybe even he could be greedy. That kind of hints at that because of the situation he was in. But then it also kind of layered it where things got worse. The whole thing about the dynamite and the the pieces kind of broke. And yet he still didn't want help. And he was still caught up about making that dollar. And that's, that's the other reason why I liked how they started for the beginning. So much of his character was told before he ever spoke a word. And to add on to that, that's a reason why I also think the beginning of the film lacked a little bit because you can kind of get those vibes, but in order to get confirmation, whether it's greed or if it's just a mistrust of people or if it's a lack of funds, because it kind of seemed like they put in little bits of like, this was his first big break. And I would have liked if maybe they had put some dialogue or even just another scene or two of him not being able to afford all 
all of the equipment he needed to do this safely. So that way it could be expressed of this was his first big break a little bit more rather than just 100% kind of just going off of vibes, almost confusion. Like we're not 100% sure of whether it was greed or if it was lack of funds. Because as soon as he found that silver, he went and bought people to work with him. Yeah, that's totally fair. I actually have to say, after watching this twice, because of the stuff he's done, I just never cared to know about the past. That's fair. And I don't know if it's because I got what I needed or the way he was presented. It was one of those things where, like, you can't convince me any kind of story that I would be okay with. And that's not necessarily as weird as it may sound, it's not necessarily a bad thing towards him, but I feel like at least the story I was presented, it was good enough for me. Which now since I'm saying that out loud, that could also be a negative now since I'm thinking about it, is that that's why the movie for me, which we kind of already spoiled a little bit of, is like the movie to me was good, but it wasn't great. And who knows, maybe that was the piece of it. It's not enough fleshing out of the past. Yeah, or even his character. Because let's be for real, how much of his character was really revealed other than some of the grimy shit he did? Yeah, you're you're right. There wasn't. And that was intentional based off of the choices that the character made. He specifically didn't want people to know his business because then they could have some sort of leverage on him in his mind. He thought any information he gave someone was leverage because that's the way he used information about people. <laughs> yeah, it still tripped me out to see it a second time. It was just some of the stuff he did. Oh, yeah, it's definitely trippy. And even to compound on our idea that they set up him being a scummy person from the get go is actually the first opening dialogue where he's trying to swindle an entire town again. Like they just go from not hearing his grimy plan to basically be the most successful man on the planet, Jeffrey Bezos, directly into dialogue about his plan. So one of the things I wanted to bring up since we're actually moving forward with the movie now is when he actually gets to the town called Little Boston is how abandoned and sad it looked, which is weird to me because when I think World War One, which is roughly the time frame of that, 1911, a little before, I think of bigger cities. And so it's nice to see something different out of that time period to just see like farmland, rural, where it's almost unaffected from the major catastrophe going on in the world or about to happen. Well, I'm no history buff, but from my memory, there's not too much in America that would have shown that. Isn't that correct? Yeah, there were no battles taking place in World War One in America, but you would think you would see some sort of rallying, you know, like getting the troops ready. But it actually looks like it started in 1914, so three years before World War One. So, but the point still stands. It's nice to see almost like a slice of life outside of that. Something that my brain hasn't sort of envisioned before is just this rural town that's kind of empty and not a lot going on. Typically, when you watch a movie that is from this time period or a Western, since this is almost like a Western-esque story, you see a busy town full of people and there's like a gunslinger. Or if you see another one, it's about the lead up to the Great Depression or the lead up to World War One. I think you've only seen a few though. I don't know. I'll just say that because I've seen so so much variety. I can't I can't say that when you give me the time period that I'm locked off 
on anything because I feel like we've had a lot of movies in different areas during that time period. And especially for Westerns, I've seen a lot of Westerns. And to me, I see more of this. What we saw in this movie is more like the Westerns I've seen, where it's actually a lot more rural than it is full cities. And sometimes they'll have those scenes in those movies to showcase wealth. But for the most part, they generally show these type of scenes to show that this is the general American during this time period. Yeah, I can see that. Well, also, too, just doing some quick digging per the general synopsis of the movie. So, 1903 is when California, the state, became the top leading oil-producing state in the U.S. and traded positions with Oklahoma through the year 1930. I'm wondering if that was a a play on history of the boon of oil in California and the fact that the town of Little Boston that Dan DeLuce was at and that oil in 1902, I'm wondering if it came down to buying that oil and then trying to, you know, like any other oil oil company frack as much as you can and monopolize as much as you can dictate and dominate the market that all the income for oil goes to the person who found it and maintains it and then expand and i actually enjoyed that speech he gave that was legit where it was hey this area needs bread when you get irrigation you get this this breeds that this is creates enough food and then also you have like the schools so we're going to have people moving here which will have kids which will have families which they need education so it was actually to me it was a really cool speech even though once again it's still that grimy salesman but sometimes they've they've got cool speeches and i say that because it educated me on that i never really put too much thought into oil when it was in the past even from all the social studies classes i took to see it this way it's like you you kind of don't have that nowadays like we don't have that now where it's like here's this resource you bring this resource this will develop an entire town we're so developed now at least in america so to see it back then where most things weren't as highly developed and it's yeah a small town's like hey we're gonna do an oil operation and it literally breeds an entire town (laughs) that was just like very interesting and enlightening to see. Which is something I've thought of recently is that concept of towns were kind of created by a need for workers or production or mining or something. Anything to do with work is that towns were created based off of that. And so it was actually cool to see that is that his oil rig did actually breathe life into a town and cause it to be a bit more what I'm used to seeing it from this time period. And it's one of those tough challenges where you see a character like this and you see a lot of the flaws, but then you have that challenge of a ethical sense where he helped grow that town. Now, he did do some grimy stuff and there was death. So that's that's the challenge we have. And I don't want to go into a whole philosophical thing, but it's just an interesting thing because it's like a ripple effect. You have to figure out like, we don't want sacrifices, but is those sacrifices worth it for growth and longevity? Yeah, interesting questions to pose. I did want to talk about how dangerous oil rigs actually are because I had heard about like stuff happening in real life about how dangerous they are. And you hear about the higher than average fatality rate at oil rigs and how they get hazard pay and all of that. But I think this was the first time I've actually seen something dangerous happen at an oil rig. You know, a man dies, it catches on fire, boy goes deaf, people are killed over it, kind of like real life. But yeah, it was just, interesting to see the actual dangers behind doing oil rigging back in that day and i'm curious as the comparison to today 
Yeah, I watched a documentary, a couple of them in different types of TV shows that went into it over the years. And I saw those before I saw this movie. And I already knew it was dangerous, especially the ones that that's like out in the middle of the ocean and different types of things related to that. And there's just similar industries that dig for resources and so forth. Yeah, from my knowledge, it's still like that. If one thing goes wrong, a lot of people's lives is in danger. Someone can die falling too far, something falling on them. I'm not going to say since I have not firsthand experienced it, I'll just say from the outside, I don't think it's as dangerous as it was in the movie because of how simple it was. You're just, your body is always deep in this hole and all it takes is one of those heavy pieces of metal to fall and just, and that's it. Yeah, wild. One of the things that happened to one of the characters, the death at the oil rig, made me think, especially with how eerie the film had been up to this point, that Daniel was just going to hide the body and cover it up completely. I don't know if you guys thought that. I'm like, oh, no, this is where it starts. This is where the darkness starts. Oh, yeah, I had that thought both times. (laughs) But little did I know the first hint of darkness is child abuse and then a child trying to kill his father. (laughs) The deaths are obviously dark. I'm not going to gloss over that at all. Him becoming deaf is definitely sad. But as far as like a hint of almost vile villainy, the first hint of that is his son, H.W., trying to kill both his father and his perceived to be uncle. That was a wild scene to me. I don't know if you guys, what your reaction was at the time, but to me, that was just like, holy shit. So this is the film we're watching. I mean, to be fair, I can completely understand because you could be close to somebody in your life and all of a sudden someone new comes in and it strikes a chord to that particular person. They become the new, I hate using the term, the new toy or the new focus. It does put a little bit of envy and jealousy into the person that you had this moment in spotlight of close friendship being taken by some outsider that you don't know who the heck they really are. Yeah, I still couldn't excuse it because that was just crazy. However, I actually felt different than you two. I thought the movie was wild well before that. By the time that showed up, I was just adding that to the pile. (laughs) At this point, I was so used to crazy stuff happening. It was just one of those like, all right, here we're dealing with that now. Because before that, even the whole, hey, I'm your half brother. Okay, that's creepy. Then before all that, all the deaths, it's just all those kind of things. So by the time that happened, I was in the middle of the roller coaster. That's fair. I guess for me, especially with my generation, we grew up with violence being an everyday thing, especially in all the media that we watch, video games we play, the news, everything. So I guess I'm desensitized to just like a regular death and murder to me is just at another level. They're both still tragic and sad, but just seeing the brutality of a murder or even an attempted murder is just like, oh, shit. (laughs) Oh, yeah. But that's what I'm saying. All this is within the same movie. Yeah, 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 for sure. And I think that's why it didn't hit me as hard as it could have, because this was about the halfway point, I believe. Mm-hmm. And by then, so much crazy shit already happened. I did like when Dan took Pastor Riddler or Paul Dano's character through the mud and just absolutely slapped the shit out of him. I found it to be entertaining while also being like, oh, shit, he's going to kill him. 
Yeah, that to me opened my eyes a little bit more to Daniel's character. It was his breaking moments, but see, moments like that where he went more extreme than normal, it showed me the, I know in today's times they kind of call it privilege, but I will look at it in a similar concept, but a different word. But the ego is that he knows because he has all this money when he wants to break loose, he's not scared. And that to me, that's always been a problem when people have that kind of power and wealth. Sure, you can be like, hey, he controlled himself other otherwise, but still, for him to do something like that, I do feel is crossing the line, and that's also showing his ego that he knows he can get away with it, like like he was doing everybody a favor. You, you see what I mean? Right. It's like, and this is going to be a weird correlation. It's like the character of Kingpin. You see him doing business. It's like how he is with business while Vanessa's around versus how he is business with his gangsters. Yeah, like I'm doing you a favor, even though I'm still being mean to you. This is me being nice and you should be thankful. And that's like his attitude the whole time. So when he breaks loose, he's like, okay, I'm going to do what I feel like now because I've been nice this whole time and it's still messed up. Actually, yeah, that character pretty much lines up with Kingpin 100%. If you think about it, that's kind of wild. Scummy businessman, does very shady shit, undercuts people, threatens people with violence, and kills some motherfuckers for getting too close to his business. Wow, that actually is correlation. (laughs) (laughs) It's actually like, did they copy and paste Kingpin? Anywho, rabbit trail. But yeah, I thought it was very well written. He is a very well written character. Every single person in this film is very well written. They had nice character arcs and growth throughout the film. Some grew in different ways than others, for sure. But I feel like everyone who shared the main spotlight got a chance to have their story told. And the ones that didn't, it doesn't necessarily mean they weren't well fleshed out characters. I feel like when you tell a slice of life story like this is, that's exactly how life is. Not everyone is going to know your story or someone else's story. The person that walks past you on the street, you might say, hi, have a nice day, something like that. But you're not going to get into a deep dive about the growth that they go through on a daily basis. So it just works really well for a slice of life film like this. Oh, yeah, I can agree because this is one of those movies where I would say everybody had a part to play, including even extras. Everybody fit right. I would actually even say not to change subjects, but every scene. I can't think of any part of the film that I would remove or add. I feel like it is a complete story. Oh, it definitely is. It is definitely 100% a complete story from start to finish. And while I do love slice of life films, this one I feel like hit different because I wasn't expecting an eerie, dark film. I knew it was going to be a drama. I just didn't know it was going to be dark. Yeah, you're starting to remind me back when I first saw the movie. When I saw the marketing, I just didn't know what to expect. I mean, look at the title, There Will Be Blood. I didn't know if like the oil would turn him into someone crazy because he's just so crazy for money and he just starts doing all these really shady deals and killing people behind the scenes to get wealthy. It wasn't even to that craziness. He did pieces of that stuff, but it wasn't like full on, like going on a murder spree or something like that. I I would say, and this may be going too far with it, but I would say he was very realistic of someone back then. And I just say that just from my perspective, because I mean, think about all, all the stuff 
stuff he would have to do. If you're trying to have a pipeline as far as it was, and you have hungry people, you have people who want your money, you have competitors, you have greedy people, you have jealous people, you have us, you don't have family or loved ones or a child of your own to trust. So if you're out on your own, but you hit this kind of success, I hate to say it, he was pretty spot on to what I would picture someone back then having to do all that stuff to to get that type of success. Yeah, I'll agree with you. It was definitely very realistic to what would have happened back then. And I'm sitting here thinking like, how would it be today? Well, if it did happen today, you wouldn't know about the murders. They just disappear. I'm not a, I'm not calling out any oil corporations. Please don't make me disappear. No, nah, but unfortunately, when you deal with money, you just never know when it comes to greed and money. Exactly. A lot of that stuff made sense, like someone showing up to, to be family. Once that showed up, I kind of knew what was going to happen, but I think they did that on purpose. Like, that's part of the point. Even even Daniel's character was just like, really, fam, <laughs> at this point? And then he, he just put the pieces together. He was like, you know what? He just snapped one day, and he's like, this can't be real. And that's when he put him on the spot and did all that stuff. Once again, I don't want to go on a philosophical thing, because that's a tough spot to be in, because once he trusted him that far, and they're out in the middle the wilderness you got this guy who's lied to you to get into your inner circle what do you do okay well i'm just gonna go back to sleep and hope you don't do anything to me i was trying to think of when that scene happened did he say something that set daniel off because like there was a moment where he just looked at his wannabe brother like the fuck like he noticed something it was the story about their childhood home that's what Um, Yes. Yeah. I would say for me, what I saw in the film is what Regent's talking about, but it was, it was like his behavior, his behavior to me. If I was looking at it from Daniel's point of view, the guy's behavior was acting more like I'm definitely here to just use your money. He didn't seem like a, a sibling or someone who's here to reconnect as a sibling. And I think that was when he started to question things. And that's why I feel like that's why the director added those scenes like them being in the the bar or whatever that was the prostitution hall or whatever it was just those little subtle things where it's like homeboys like mm, something something's off about this guy and i think that's why he wanted to question him at that point so this is the statement i was making about the fake henry that's the actor that played benny from the mummy and that's per imdb we did also cut that out so but yeah, there there was a lot told in this story, and I feel like it was a very well-written and well-crafted story. The cinematography in this film for the time period that it was from was actually really solid. And again, it was very similar to Old Country for No Men. And even back when we covered that episode, link in the description, we talked about the cinematography and how well it was shot, almost like it was a more modern film, but they wanted to go for a period piece like this is. Oh, the other fun fact I wanted to tell you guys. So the mud scene, they use the same liquid that goes into making the milkshakes from McDonald's as the foundation for the mud. Oh, wow. Huh. The one time the machine actually does work. <laughs> when they want to create oil mud. And guess what? Didn't we cover a film about that? Dun, dun, dun. 
<laughs> all Link the in the description. <laughs> but yeah, the cinematography, it looks good to me, but I don't know if it's because I've seen better movies later on, but I wasn't in awe. I enjoyed the presentation of it. And who knows, maybe it was the film grain. The film grain was really strong in this film. I think that might have took it back for me because I feel like I didn't get to enjoy the visuals as much because it was very dark and grainy. I can agree with you. The film grain in this movie aged it a lot. It made it feel like it was a much older film than when it actually is. Because if you look at other films from this time period, you've got Iron Man, you've got Dark Knight, Pirates of the Caribbean, Spider-Man 3 that all look like they could have been shot and filmed today. But you got this one that looks like it was filmed in the 90s. Yeah, like the the visual presentation for me, I would even go back further. Like it felt like they were trying to make this look like this was filmed in the 70s. Like when I look at Westerns made in the 70s, that's what this felt like. But even physically darker, like like you took a tape from the 70s and watched it and was like, oh, wow, that's the way it felt for me, which from a presentation standpoint for the story I was good with, because it goes back to that whole uneasy feeling. And I think that was the purpose of it was... They never wanted to make this movie feel bright and happy at any point. So even during day scenes, the film still felt depressing in some form. And I wonder if that was intentional to where the way that they shot this film is to be darker, is to be a little bit more depressing. It's very interesting because if you think about the concept, this was a time period where growth was happening exponentially because of things like this. But it makes you wonder if they wanted to present it as it wasn't such a a beautiful thing. Either it wasn't a beautiful thing to put it together or it wasn't necessarily a beautiful thing altogether. Because I could see where the concept of putting together a city and growing a city sounds beautiful, but it takes a lot of work takes a lot of dirt and labor. It does. And I'm glad that we got to see the pieces that we did because I didn't need to see them building houses or building the oil rig. We got to see the tents. We got to see the oil rig, their little shed that they had their office in. And that was enough for me to get the beauty of it while also seeing the small amount of hard work and effort that was actually put into building a town back in those days. We got to see snippets, but not too much to where we felt like we were watching a documentary about old time houses and old time towns. Exactly. Which I do want to give a shout out. Whenever I watch this film, it always makes me think and appreciate the things that we take for granted in our society because it makes me think about those dangerous jobs that we have in our society that people actually do to keep our lives running. To see it that way, like, yes, we can see it and see like, oh, wow, this is more rudimentary. It's still dangerous to the day for a lot of these type of jobs. People going on skyscrapers, people working electricity, people working in oil and different types of things like that. And there there are deaths in those jobs. And when I watch this film, that's just something in the back of my mind is like, yeah, we kind of focus on Daniel being like a grimy person, but it still shows that like, even if he was a good person, that's still the same risk. Like actually, I'll even pose that question. Even if Daniel was presented as this happy-go-lucky guy was it would that really change most of the film at the end of the day i think it would actually add to the more eerie factor is because you would still feel like there's something shady going on about this guy but we just haven't learned it yet 
Yeah, and that would be the detriment to the film. <laughs> it's like, man, there's something that keeps bothering me. And then you end the movie, and you're like, maybe you end the movie with him doing the whole bowling pins thing. <laughs> and then you're like, that's what it was. <laughs> That'd be the plot twist. It's like, I knew it. I knew he was crazy. I knew he was a slimy bastard. Yeah. While we're on the scene of the bowling pins, did you guys notice the detail when Paul Dano starts to run down the aisle and he goes to grab a pin? Daniel goes to grab a pin and throw it at him. All 20 pins are standing up. And as soon as they pan the camera a few times, a bunch of pins are knocked over. Oh, good eye. Usually I catch that stuff. Well done. Thank you. So it was just a cool little detail I noticed. I'm like, aha, multiple takes. I wonder how many bowling pins they fucking threw. <laughs> Lots of times I usually got to do like 20, 30 takes, unfortunately, because here's why. I already knew that scene was a struggle. The first time I saw it, I didn't pay attention to the details. The second time, which you actually beat me because I didn't see enough details, but I paid attention to Eli. I noticed he had to make it believable why he was still stuck in that corner. He tries to open the doors. They're locked. He tries to go one way. He gets kind of like caught, goes another way. In a little bit of watching the second time, I was like, mm, I think he could have got out of that. But that's something I picked up on it this time was like he had to make it look really believable that he was stuck in that corner for Daniel to be able to hit him with that pin. The first time I watched, I didn't pay attention. But second time I was like, he's really overselling it. Just something I picked up. I was like, just tackle him. Like, he's old. He's limping. You got this. I know you're skinny and scrawny, but damn, bro, at least try. Yeah, he was blacked out drunk five minutes ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was. I'm with you on that. Like, tackle the dude. But I wouldn't even gone into the corner anyway. Even if he was throwing that bowling ball, like, in my mind, I don't allow myself to be stuck in a corner. Just walk left or right, strafe. Yeah, which I do want to talk a little bit about Eli's character. I do want to be careful talking on the whole thing about religion because the movie does this weird way because it's like whenever I watch it, I just think like, okay, are you trying to commentate on religion or was it that this was like a unique take? It was just a little confusing on me and I didn't want to give the movie credit that it didn't want to, but it really did have a huge piece of it. And that's where I couldn't understand like, okay, were you all trying to say European? is that religion is something that's like made up or is it that religion had too much influence at this time because it was a lot in the film or was it that you wanted to show that Daniel just hated religion which I wanted to look at it that way is that they just wanted to present it as he didn't he didn't like religion that's something that pissed him off which kind of made it entertaining to watch because when he was in the church and he was saying like all those things like oh, I'm a sinner and and all this and that it was just funny to watch because you like you know he's being fake as hell just to get some money oh yeah when i saw that scene my immediate reaction was daniel's just trying to get back at eli that's all i saw and i don't think it was the film writers or the director trying to get a stab at religion i think it was genuinely just the character of daniel being like you know what you made me do now i'm gonna make you do it as a big fuck you and also it does have some unfortunate connotations if you do believe in religion and i don't know if you guys know this but in the christian religion if you are to renounce your god that means that you would no longer go to heaven so his job there for daniel was to get him to renounce his god call him fake and then kill him so in eli's mind he knew he was going to go to hell 
Oh man, that actually makes more sense now. Yeah, I actually never put the piece two pieces together. I just figured it was definitely a big f you at the very end when he wanted him to say all that. I definitely felt like that was just him wanting to dwindle money over his head, just that whole like grovel at my feet kind of mentality. But it definitely hits even more like <laughs> like a double fuck you. Oh, it's a triple fuck you. First, he's making him renounce his God. Second, he's lied to him about the possibility of giving him money. And then he fucking kills him and sends him to hell. Like we said, the dude's shady as fuck. <laughs> yeah, which you would think traditionally speaking, the character that Daniel was would hit some kind of horrible end. But he lives right at the end, which I was fine with. It didn't bother me either way. It was just a very interesting way to be presented because I'll pose this question. Who do you all feel was the antagonist in the film? I think he is. I think Daniel is the antagonist. And who's the protagonist then? I think he is. And I think that you can be one in the same is that he is his own worst enemy. He lost all that he had at the beginning of the film due to his greed. I would have to say, I would say the antagonist would be both of them, Eli and Daniel. And I don't think there was a protagonist because I think Eli was trying to be a protagonist based on his virtue of call from God to save Daniel. But even to an extent, that got morally astray per the actions Eli took throughout the movie leading up to his death. I feel Daniel took Eli off his pedestal of being a holy man to his level and said that basically you're no better than I and showed that basically. Basically, I'm better than you and I brought you to my level. You'll not get past me and you're not higher than me. You're just beneath me. I would say for me, I do feel Daniel is the protagonist when I watch it. And the reason why I give him that slot is he's the character I'm most interested in. And I follow his path throughout the film. So I give him that slot. It's not that he's the hero, but just the protagonist of the story. And I debated this before thinking about who I felt the antagonist was. I feel like there's probably two or three of them. And they're like a different percentage. So I do feel like Eli is one of the protagonist but he's not like the protagonist i feel like he just shows up kind of like in the film he shows up at different times to go against daniel in some form kind of tricks him leads him kind of gets in his way but i feel like the other piece is kind of what the film is about i feel like it is like his antagonist in his story is the negatives to the world of oil and here's why i say is that when you think about all the stuff that got in his way it's things it's like the negatives to the whole oil oil rig and all that kind of stuff the whole pipeline negatives such as having to do deals with people losing money machinery blowing up having to deal with family it's like all all these things were holding him back so it's kind of what similar to what venture was talking about where he's like his own worst enemy but i feel like it's more like the, just the negatives to the whole oil stuff is like you could probably pick anything that was negative about it maybe the cost of business maybe you don't have trustworthy employees shadiness of the business the all those kind of negative connotations i feel like those are things he had to keep fighting back throughout the whole film and i would almost even say eli still fits in that bucket because eli to me was not him specifically but it's like the concept of him and i want to be careful it's not that he was like the concept of religion but more like the greedy people who hide behind the blanket of innocence so for him it was religion but it was still greedy people and i feel like that's why he's still part of that whole the negative side to the business yeah and that's got me thinking and this is part of my final wrap up as well 
is if I had to make a change to this film at all, I would add three simple scenes. Number one, in the beginning of the film, I would want them to set up a, a line that he does, doesn't want to cross, and that is killing a man. I would then have a scene where someone tries to steal oil from him from that first well that he gets. Someone just tries to steal a lot of oil, maybe one or two barrels. The second scene I would add is another scene of companies trying to undercut his business, trying to basically swindle him. I would take out the scene of him killing his brother and maybe him letting him go, something like that. And then finally, the last bit that I would add is right at the end where he kills Paul Dano's character, Eli, is that that is the last shard of himself that he broke. The last shard of his humanity, the last shard of what he had left after he lost everything due to his greed for power and for wealth is that he gave up his one thing he didn't let go of the entire film and that his that is his unwillingness to kill a man leaving him broken and destitute therefore being his own protagonist and antagonist of the film goodness gracious you somehow presented the movie even darker good gracious bro <laughs> but with only one death so a lot less actual violence but it's a darker story well hats off to you to finding a darker way to present the film <laughs> Funny enough, they actually dialed this movie up a notch. So they had a version of this that wasn't nearly as violent, but they decided to dial it up. They heard No Country for Old Men was coming out. They're like, oh, fuck, we got to dial this shit up. Apparently it worked. But on that note, I can give my final wrap up here is obviously I would make those changes. I feel like it would tell a better story overall and it would just make more sense to the character of Daniel because I feel like he didn't really have an ending to his arc. All the other characters kind of got to have their final moment and he kind of just never stopped. He just got wealthier and he got his house. But other than that, his character arc didn't have a finale. So I feel like those small scenes and taking out a scene would actually fix his character arc into giving him a complete character arc. Other than that, I feel like the beginning of the film was a little slow, but overall, I like the cinematography. Film grain definitely needs to be fixed, but the acting was amazing. Dialogue was actually really well done. The action, overall, a lot of it was well done. There's just a few small fixes I would su suggest. I would give this an 8 out of 10. Ooh, I mean, for the film and for its importance of the actual like film industry and cinematography and the quality of the movie that it was, at least for my upbringing, I'm giving it an eight and a half out of ten. This was also the first movie that got me in the direction of Blu-ray and upscaling quality for clarity of video and audio. So it's kind of the catalyst towards who I am right now. But overall, I think it was a fantastic movie. I do believe it deserves a lot of the accolades that have been touted for it, especially for Dan Day Lewis and the workhorse that he was in this movie and what he did for everyone else. For me and a half out of ten. Monster. So this one's tough for me because it's a movie that I would say it's perfect for what it is, for what it wants to be, but it, it's not a perfect movie for me. The reason is because there's only, I would say half the movie I would love to rewatch, but then the other half I could just be like, okay, that's still cool, but that that's about it. I just don't, even though we didn't talk too much into it, I don't see what made all the awards. I'll give Daniel Day-Lewis his credit that he acted really well in the film, but it's still wasn't something where like when i watched the 
movie and I'm like, man, this movie deserves a ton of awards. So unfortunately for me, it's more like seven, seven and a half. If there's any reason that I would give also to why I don't give it as high of a score, I think it's because I feel like the movie only had so much depth to it. And I know we kind of dabbed a little bit into it. It's kind of like what Venture was talking about is even with what you presented, I feel like that did give it even more depth. Daniel Day Lewis's character so Daniel just I don't feel like much change with him from the beginning to the end other than the amount of money he had and that to me is it's entertaining but it's just not someone I would be invested into learning about and that's why I would give it at best 7.5 it's a lot of it is on Daniel Day Lewis's acting I would say is a large portion of that he was definitely very enjoyable to watch on the screen so after that, I'll add two quick things. And that is, yeah, why did this movie get so many awards? And two, Paul Dano, 100%. Those two actors saved this movie 100%. With that being said, Region and Monster, thank you very much for joining me for another episode. Pleasure as always. Absolutely. On to the next one. All right. And like we said previously, we do have episodes on No Country for Old Men. So if you haven't listened to that one yet and you would like to, I will leave a link to that in the description below or just scroll through our episodes. You'll find it. Again, that is all we have to say. But thank you very much for joining. I hope you enjoyed. If you did, a like, share, review on whichever platform you're currently listening to this podcast on would be greatly appreciated. If you do so, it's going to help us out tremendously. It'll help us pop up on more people's feeds and more people can enjoy our content. So again, thank you very much for listening. We hope you enjoyed and have a wonderful day. Thanks. Bye.